Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guest. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to set up a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also, visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com, or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. There are some parts of the Bible that are difficult to understand. Now that may sound like a very diff- very strange way to begin a sermon. Because in reality, a good sermon is supposed to help us to, to take what God's Word says and to, to see what it said in its time and then to bring it to our time so we can understand it. But if we're honest, there are times where that gap is a little bit wider than others. There are certain parts of the Bible that are just difficult to understand. Certain verses, certain maybe for you, certain types of literature. Maybe you struggle to understand the prophets or maybe you struggle to understand some of the, the poems or, or whatever. But parts are just difficult. And you may think, boy, this is the most discouraging beginning of a sermon I have ever heard. But I don't say that to discourage us at all. In fact, knowing that some of the Bible is a little bit difficult really should encourage us in a couple of ways. It should encourage us, first of all, because it should encourage us to deeper Bible study. And when, you, when you're doing your daily Bible reading or you're, you're studying for a Bible class or whatever, and you come across something that's just more difficult, it can discourage you at first because you want to know what it says, but it should encourage you to want to come back to that and, and to try to, to mine those deeper truths from God's Word. Isn't that a great thing? When something that's been difficult and, and you, all of a sudden you have that, that aha moment, the light bulb comes on, it's a beautiful thing. It encourages you to want to, to dig even more deeply and to learn even more. But it also should encourage us because we didn't say that all of the Bible is difficult. There are some parts of the Bible that are very straightforward. You might think of some of the the biographies found in the Old Testament. You read someone's life story. It's not too hard to to pick up on those things. Or some of the events are described. We may not understand all the, the applications we're supposed to make from those things sometimes. But as far as just understanding what happened, it's just not all that difficult. For some of you, the Psalms are very easy. Maybe you have kind of a poetic mind, and so you you find yourself in those poems, and you can memorize it very easily and commit it to memory. For some of us, Proverbs is a book of the Bible that while actually applying them may be difficult, just memorizing them and having them in our mind is just not all that hard most of the time. And if we're honest, so many of the commands of God also fall under that category. That they're just statements. Do this. Or, don't do this. Or, if you do this, this will happen. If you don't do this, this will. And they're just very straightforward, concise commands. And it's with that in mind that we had our scripturing this morning. Because one of those commands, it's very straightforward, very worded very easily, is found in Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, where Jesus himself said, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe or whoever disbelieves will be condemned. Folks, that's a hard verse to miss. We're calling our lesson this morning, Five Views 
of Mark 16, 16. And I'll go ahead and tell you that that title was a little bit misleading. I don't mean that to say I'm you know, lying or something, but it was a hard lesson to title. What We're not saying that someone can come along and just misquote Mark 16, 16. But what we're saying is by the things that so many people believe, that they teach, that they practice, you would have to twist Mark 16, 16 to get to those teachings. We want to examine five ways of viewing this verse. In reality, five things that people teach about salvation and eternity. And then we've concluded with what Jesus said. We want to take just a few moments at the end to think about the so what. What does it really matter what Jesus said in this verse? Five views. View number one are those who believe and teach and by their practice would say that whoever does or does not believe and is or is not baptized will not be saved. Which, by the way, is a terrible sentence, I know. But that statement would be of those who are atheistic, those who are pagan. I mean, after all, if there is no God, or if there is no eternity, or heaven, or hell, or anything along those lines, then what does it really matter what some teacher said 2,000 years ago? In fact, it wouldn't make any difference what any religious teacher said in any way, shape, or form. But the fact of the matter is, we absolutely know that there is a God. We know that from so many things. We could look at all the evidence around us, all the the design we see in the, the natural world around us, and even within our own bodies. We could think about the very simple fact that mankind has a moral sense within him. You know, we may not always agree on what is right or wrong, but is it not telling that we are always all caught up in, is this right or is this wrong? Does that not say something that someone put that within us? It's the same concept that Solomon would write about in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 10 when he said that God has put eternity into the heart or the hearts of mankind. There's something within us that realizes there's something larger than us. Of course, we also know that Scripture very clearly states in Psalm 14 and verse 1 that it's the fool who has said in his heart, there is no God. You would have to be foolish to turn off and not believe all the evidence for something, someone out there. Now, to get from just believing in some deity out there to believing in Jehovah, the God of the Bible, now we'll admit that takes some study. That takes some thinking. But the simple fact that there is a God, well, Paul talked about that in Romans chapter 1, did he not? That his invisible attributes are clearly seen. You would have to shut your mind off to not see those things in the natural world around us. But then some would say, well, okay, there's a God, but who's to say we have to believe in Jesus? That's the only one. That paganistic idea. If we're going to believe in Scripture, folks, we've got to believe in Scripture. And if you really were to study other world religions, as they're often called, their truth claims fall flat on their face. But they are making inroads into our society, even right here in the South, very clearly. Islam would tell you Jesus is a prophet. He's a good prophet, but Muhammad's the last and great prophet. He's the one we're supposed to follow. We can't believe that. Those New Age or Eastern religions are sometimes called Hinduism, Buddhism, and others. 
a lot of people don't hold, you know, wholeheartedly to them, but they are making strong inroads into our society. How, how often do you hear people talk about being centered and those sorts of things? Folks, that's an Eastern New Age religion concept. We, we have this idea of, of chanting and all those sorts of things that we empty our minds and find some enlightenment. That's an Eastern New Age religion concept. And they're becoming very, very popular in our world. But you study those religions and they, they fall flat on their face as far as their truth claims go. We simply cannot accept that no one is going to be saved whatsoever. That it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter what you believe, or the simple fact there is no God. We, we, we can't believe that. As followers of Scripture, any belief system that does not have us have our full faith in Jesus as the Son of God and as the Savior, we must reject. And so we must reject that teaching. But flip that one around. There are also some who would claim that whoever does or does not believe and is or is not baptized will be saved. This is the idea of universalism. The simple teaching is basically that we're all going to the same place. We're just taking different roads to get there. And oh, how wide this is being banted around in our culture. You have your belief And I have my belief. And so long as you're faithful to your belief and I'm faithful to my belief, then we're all going to the same place. We're all going to end up there. You just take your road. I'll take my road. And we'll we'll all be happy in heaven. We'll be happy in eternity one of these days. Now, some might not take it that far. But they might say that, well, you have to have a belief in Jesus. But as far as what you actually practice in the Christian religion, that, that doesn't matter. You have your way of following Christianity. I have my way of following Christianity. We're all going to the same place anyway. And so you have this idea that the specifics don't really matter. Folks, the Bible simply does not give us that option. Jesus didn't give us that option. In John 14 and verse 6, he very clearly stated, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so any religion that would have us take our eyes off of Jesus, we simply cannot follow. There might be some good teachings or some philosophical thoughts that might be helpful in other religions from time to time or help us to figure a couple of things out. But if it takes us takes our minds off of Jesus as the Son of God and as the Savior, we simply cannot follow it. But even when it comes to the broader Christian world, folks, Jude verse 3 must be our calling card. We are to contend earnestly for the faith that has been once for all delivered to the saints. I have no doubt. I have religious friends, Christian friends in the broader sense of the term who, 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 who love God and want to do a lot of things. But, but folks, if, if what they teach is not in Scripture, I can't go along with that. I've got to contend for the faith, and that includes the plan of salvation. But we live in a world where we're basically told that everybody's going there. If you don't believe me, how often have you seen someone who passed away, maybe a celebrity in the celebrity culture, and it didn't really matter how they lived in this life, what's said at their funeral, what's said afterwards? I know they're looking down on us from heaven. Really? I guess all you got to do is be a celebrity. Or I guess all you got to do is do something right. Or I guess all you got to do is maybe make some donation to a charity at some point. It doesn't really matter how you live. We're all going there eventually. After all, weren't we told in the book about ten years ago that love wins? Weren't we told that? Folks, we cannot hold to that everybody's going there. When our Lord and Savior Himself said, 
That the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are going there, but the way is narrow that leads to life, and very few are going there. As wonderful as it may sound that everybody is going to heaven, it just is not true. But then there are some who might say it this way, whoever does not believe and is baptized will be saved. This would be those who would hold to the idea of baptizing infants or baptizing babies. And if you stop and think about it for a moment, their teaching could make logical sense if one simple fact were true. They will simply teach us that we are born sinful. We're born with a sin nature. It was passed down, they say, through all these generations ever since that first man, Adam, in the, in the Garden of Eden. And for all of these generations, that sin nature has been passed down. In fact, you, you can find some of the writings. Lee and I read a book together several years ago that even suggested this is why babies cry. Because they are expressing their sin nature. I think it's because they've been in a waterbed for nine months and now it's cold. Okay, I think that's why a baby cries. I'm not a scientist, but that makes a whole lot of sense to me. Okay, but they say that you're born sinful. Well, folks, if that's true, and then if baptism saves, well, then this teaching would make a lot of sense. So the question becomes, is it true? Well, we know it's not true from Scripture and from logic. Logic would help us to know it's not true because sin, very simply, is a choice. I choose to go against the way of God. I choose to lie or to steal or to worship falsely or to avoid doing being kind to someone or whatever. I make that choice. But Scripture also makes it clear. Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20. The soul that sins shall die. And then the prophet went on to say, The Son will not bear the iniquity of the Father, nor the Father bear the iniquity of the Son. What's he saying? Can I suffer because of someone else's sin, even my parents' sin? Sure, there might be some consequences. If my parents sin, I might bear some of those consequences. My parents might sin, excuse me, might suffer consequences because I sin. But do I bear their sin? No. I'm not a sinner because my parents sinned. In just the same way, my parents are not sinners just because I made a choice to sin. You don't pass along sin through some kind of spiritual DNA. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4 would tell us that sin is a transgression of the law. May I very kindly ask how a baby could possibly understand that? What baby could possibly understand that I am choosing to transgress the law? Sometimes I'm not all that sure what transgression means. But a baby surely cannot understand that. So we don't baptize babies. We don't baptize infants because they cannot believe. They don't know enough to follow what Jesus said. But some then would flip this teaching over and would suggest whoever believes and is not baptized will be saved. And for most of us, so many of our friends, our religious friends, this is what is taught. All you have to do is believe. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's so often the teaching. Are we saved by grace? You had better believe it. Folks, we wouldn't be breathing without the grace of God. And we most certainly would not be saved without the grace of God. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning of verse 8, makes that abundantly clear. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not a result of work, so that nobody may boast. In other words, Paul is saying there to the Ephesians, 
you're saved by grace. Don't brag about the, the, the fact you've done enough in order to be saved. You can't pile up enough good works to where God goes, wow, I'm going to save that one because he's done 427 good works the last couple of weeks. That that deserves... No, we're saved because God's grace leads us to faith. The problem becomes, people who teach this forget about verse 10 in the same context. For you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Are we saved by God's grace? Oh, yeah. Are we saved by our faith? Yes. Are we saved by works? In a sense, yes. We must do certain things in order to please God. It is interesting to me that there are so many who would teach we're saved by grace alone and then use some of the church budget to send out missionaries into the world. Folks, if God is going to save people, By grace alone, in other words, they're going to be saved whether they mean to be saved or not. Why are you wasting the church's money sending missionaries? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And I said, well, Ephesians 2, 8 says we're saved by grace through faith. But wait a minute. If we're saved by God's grace and he is going to, the, the, the grace is irresistible. In other words, I cannot resist being saved by God. He's going to find a way for me to have faith in him. Why send missionaries? Why do any of that stuff? It doesn't make any, even any logical sense by the things that are practiced. Oh, but I know you. You're one of those that teaches a work salvation. Because you teach somebody's got to be baptized. I had somebody tell me that online the other day. It was hard to believe somebody got angry online. Can you believe somebody actually gets angry on the Internet? I thought it was this wonderful, happy place where everybody got along all, every, all the time and nobody talked about religion or, or politics. I thought it was happy. But somebody told me I was a, I was a works-based preacher because I, I preached baptism. Interestingly, that same person said, one has to believe in order to be saved. Well, I agree with him on that. But here was my question to him. Is belief a work or not? Folks, it takes work. Mental work, maybe not physical work, but it takes mental work to believe in the promises of God. To believe in the story of Scripture. To really believe and hold my life and my soul to the fact that Jesus really did come from heaven to earth. It takes mental work to get to the place where I'm going to commit my life to that. It takes work. And you've heard me say it many, many times. Baptism is the most passive thing in the plan of salvation. Actively, I believe. Actively, I repent. Actively, I confess. I am baptized. That's passive. I allow someone else to place me into the water. God's grace has appeared, Paul wrote to Titus, bringing salvation to all people teaching us, or training us, some translations have, to deny ungodliness. Here's a quick question. Does that take work, to deny ungodliness? Yeah. To deny worldly lusts, does that take work? Yeah, maybe mental, but it takes work. And to live soberly, clear-mindedly, that takes work. To live righteously, that takes work. And to live a godly life, that takes work in the present age. I thought we were saved by the grace of God. We are. But God's grace has appeared and told us what we must do and how we must live. But so many of our friends in the religious world say, that's, a, that's just a bump in the road. Baptism's not essential. 
And so, number five, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Now, if you've been looking at the screens, you may have noticed at the bottom I've been putting, you know, what the group of people or whatever the teaching, it might say this. Did, I know it's kind of small lettering, but did you notice the bottom? It doesn't say Church of Christ tradition. It doesn't say Church of Christ preacher. It says Jesus. Mark sixteen sixteen is not a Church of Christ tradition. On Sunday mornings this year, we are studying the words of Jesus. And I wanted to make sure to include Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, to, to preach a sermon about baptism and salvation, but also make sure we remember this is not just something we preach so we can be different from anybody else. This is not something we preach just so we can have our own way of doing things. This is something we preach and something we believe and something we hold to and something we defend because our Lord said it. That's why we do this. And it wasn't just once that the New Testament makes that clear. Jesus elsewhere said, we make disciples by teaching and baptizing. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. The birthday of the church in Acts chapter 2. Peter preached that sermon. The people obviously believed what he said because they asked that great question. And they, what, Sirs, what must we do? Aren't you glad Peter didn't say, sorry, there's nothing you can do? But Peter also did not say, well, it's obvious by your question that you believe. That's good enough. It's not what he said, is it? In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, he said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of, by the authority of Jesus Christ, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. May I remind you, the reference is now on the screens, but may I remind you, that it wasn't that much earlier chronologically that Jesus had told Peter, I'll give to you the keys of the kingdom. And literally that verse goes on to say, whatever you bind on earth will have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. Folks, when Peter said that in Acts chapter 2, he wasn't making something up. He wasn't saying, oh, they asked a question, uh, uh, be baptized. No, this was what had already been bound in heaven because Jesus had already said it in Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, as well as Matthew 28 and verse 19. Saul, or Paul, was told, Acts 22 and verse 16, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Some translations have calling on the name of the Lord. I didn't even take the time on the screen because you couldn't have read all of them. But you may, all conversion accounts in Acts. It is interesting to me that if you were to read through the book of Acts and see each time someone is converted to Christ, literally in every single case, baptism is specifically mentioned. Have you ever noticed the fact when you read through Acts, faith isn't even mentioned in every one of them? Not specifically. We know they had faith, but you do not see belief or faith specifically mentioned. But you see baptism mentioned in every case of conversion in the book of Acts, from those on Pentecost to those in Jerusalem afterwards, to Saul himself, to Lydia, to the Philippian jailer, to Simon the sorcerer, and on and on and on and on and on it goes. Consider the 27 books of the New Testament. And while this is an overstatement, a generalization, it's worth remembering that one of those 27 books, that would be Acts, at its most basic level teaches us how to become a Christian. 
And 26 of the books tell us how to live as Christians. And the book that tells us how to become a Christian, Acts, over and over and over and over again, emphasizes one must be baptized in order to be saved. In Romans chapter 6, I put 1 through 11, you really could keep going in that chapter, but you may recall as that chapter opens, Paul would connect baptism with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, where that old person is put down into the water. We die to that old person and we rise to walk as a new person. Just as Jesus went down into the ground, he was buried, but he came back through the resurrection. So we walk as a, as a resurrected, a new person. And on and on it goes to the New Testament. And you know as well as I do, there are other references as well. This is not just a church of Christ teaching. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Those are the words of Jesus. So what? Three takeaways. First of all, it's very, very obvious. If you've never done that, let me challenge you this morning. Cut through all the religious noise. Cut through all the the theories. Cut through all the the twisted things. Cut through all the yeah buts. Cut through all the what ifs. And realize it was Jesus himself who laid out the plan of salvation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And when you know that, and I don't think you would be here on a Sunday morning if you didn't believe in Him at least to some level. When you, when you understand that, and when you understand that He said that, and that's what He meant, why would you wait to be baptized? Why would you wait to complete that part of becoming a Christian to then walk as a Christian for the rest of your life, becoming more and more like Him each and every day? If you are not a Christian this morning, I want to tell you this is the time because Jesus laid out the plan. A second takeaway for those of us who are Christians, when we understand that Mark 16 and verse 16 really is Christ's plan of salvation, we need to go back up one verse. Go and proclaim the gospel in all creation. I don't ever tell anybody this. Why don't I tell people what they must do to be saved? Oh, but we'll offend somebody. I, I, I might lose a friend. I, I, I'm, try, I'm trying to make a friend. That's great. That's great. But folks, we're not a friend if we let someone go to hell and never tell them how to go to heaven. That's not friendship. Now, I'm not saying we have to beat somebody over the head with the Bible and you know quote Mark 16, 16 every 10 seconds to them. But folks, if we've never told a friend what the Savior of the world said in order to be saved, we're not really a friend. We have got to be telling people, not just Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. That's a great message. But we also have to tell them the so what. How do I respond to that? I believe and I'm baptized. But a third takeaway is the rest of verse 16. And that is that not everybody is going to believe. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Adam, I've tried to talk to my friend. I've tried to talk to my parents. I've tried to talk to my next door neighbor, but they they don't want to believe this stuff. It hurts, doesn't it? It hurts badly. 
because we love them as a friend. We love them as a family member. We, we love them as, a, as just a person. We love them as a soul. But just because someone doesn't believe, that's not going to lessen our resolve to keep telling people. We simply can't let it. Jesus didn't have everybody believe in him. Paul, the great missionary, the great apostle, not everybody believed him. Some tried to kill him in various places he went. Not everybody is going to believe what the Scriptures say, but it's not going to lessen our resolve. We're not going to capitulate. We're not going to say, well, we've been teaching belief in baptism, but not everybody wants to believe it, so we'll just kind of push it under the rug. No, we must contend earnestly for the faith. We must keep preaching and teaching what Jesus said, even if nobody wants to hear it. Our resolve must be stronger than ever. In a world that says, whoever does or does not believe and Israel is not baptized will not be saved. In a world that says, whoever does or does not believe and Israel is not baptized will be saved. In a world where some say, whoever does not believe and is baptized will be saved. In a world where so many of our friends, even this very community, will teach that whoever believes and is not baptized will be saved. Folks, our resolve must be not to capitulate, but to keep preaching what Jesus said. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. This morning, have you done that? Have you cut through all the religious noise? Have you cut through all the twisted theories, all the thoughts, all the scholarly articles, and realize just how simple it is? Do you believe in Him? Are you ready to be baptized? If so, why not make this the very moment as together we stand and as we sing.